welcome to this episode of IG Talk with Robert Smallwood, where we feature interviews with IG leaders from around the globe, as well as discussions of IG news, events and best practices. Hi, today on the program, we have Chris Serdak, who's a respected author and consultant, uh, also a, 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 a JD lawyer, a former rocket scientist, and even a falconer. Chris, welcome to the program. Yeah, it's good to be with you again. Great, great to hear from you. Now, I hear you're working on a new book, a new concept that uh, you've been developing, and it's it's very interesting. We uh, had a little chat about it, and uh, it's called Data Diabetes, Data Diabetes. So, could you explain what that concept is and um, and how that how how you relate that analogy to data? Uh, yeah, so it, it kind of struck me out of the blue, but um, having been married to a diabetic for many years, it, it actually rang really true when it hit me. Um, a little over a year ago, I was uh, doing a research project on what companies learned in responding to the pandemic, and so I interviewed uh, almost eighty CIOs from all over the world and all kinds of different organizations. And the one consistent theme that came out of all those discussions was that data was a problem. Every organization was having some sort of difficulty with data. <clears throat> and, when, and when you dug beneath the surface of that statement, you know, we have a problem with data, invariably what the companies were actually saying is they have a problem with decision making. Uh-huh. And that date, they were blaming data, either having too much, too little, not the right kind of data or, or, or not getting it fast enough. Um, for them not being able to make business decisions. And, and that's when it really struck me, this notion of companies metabolizing data to, to create business outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a diabetic, uh, you might be very thirsty and you go, you drink a sugary Coke or something, and it actually makes you sicker. It doesn't, it doesn't solve your, your thirst for sugar. And in the same way, data diabetes is an organization thinks that they need more data or better data or faster data and in the end, it, it, having more data will just make them sicker. It'll prevent them from making those those business decisions that they need to make. So it, it seemed like a very apropos model, and that's going to be my my next book coming up. And you're uh, you're really dealing with the life cycle of of information here uh, when you, we talk about digestion, and um, and we talk about this in information governance training classes a lot as well. Just you know, managing that life cycle. Get rid of that the old data and information and make room for the new, you know. And uh, and and uh, what do you think about reports and reporting? Um, <laughs> you know, you know, the reports are gobbled up in the first thirty days normally, and 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 that's that's uh, when they're they're uh, seen to be most useful. But you have a, a little different take on that, huh? Yeah, I mean, I've been working in data warehouses and all this kind of stuff for a quarter of a century, and and I, I refer to reports as digital self-flagellation. <laughs> it's 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 how we we write a report so we can yell at ourselves for what we did wrong last week, last month, last quarter. And 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 in today's day and age where people absolutely expect instant gratification because of smartphones and so forth, I, the report's just telling you what you about things that you can no longer impact anyway. Uh-huh. So so in an age of predictive analytics or what I, I like to call persuasive analytics, making uh-huh. someone do something different and and making them like that that you did. Reporting is almost, uh, it, it's, a, it's a cost of doing business that makes us much less efficient. And it also feeds this data diabetes problem because if, if you know, two reports are good, three reports must be even better. And I'm going to wait until I get that new report until I make a decision. That's exactly uh, a manifestation of this data diabetes that I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember in the old days when we used to print out these uh, reports on green bar paper and they'd be stacked this high. 
And uh, I know one one account, one bank I was at, they they just printed like the first few pages and the first and the last few pages. And uh, I found out nobody was really looking at them. You know, they, they, they weren't really looking at those reports. They didn't miss it. You know, they weren't really looking at them. Um, and, and also, you know, you talk about value and, uh, you know, and, and from a capital standpoint, um, if you have a dollar, you put it in the bank, it's going to be worth more. But data isn't like that, is it? No. So, so um, in my book, Jerk, I talk about the analog trinity and the digital trinity. And the analog trinity is, is what we use to control um, and grow capital. And that's bureaucracy, processes, and rules. And if you're like me, my entire career, I've been focused on bureaucracy, process, and rules to control capital. Um, and all that works because capital increases in value over time, as long as we have positive interest rates. So all of our organizations have been aligned with this idea of if you just wait a little while, you'll have more capital. And so if you talk to a CFO, they'll talk about hurdle rates. If you can't beat this certain amount of positive return, we're not going to do anything. So we're literally rewarded for, for choosing to do nothing. Mm-hmm. as long as there's positive interest rates. The problem is all if, if all of our governance processes and everything that we align our organizations to are built around that notion of capital management, information isn't like that. Information loses value over time, right? There, there's a t- Would you rather like to know the, the price of a stock tomorrow or uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if, if, I can, if I can know the price of a stock the day before it actually happens, I'll be a gajillionaire. Knowing a day after is is effectively worthless. And so all of our processes that were so optimized around capital management fail us utterly when we're talking about information management. There's a point there's there's a point of economic life of a piece of information after which it is nothing but cost and risk and you should be getting rid of it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, you, you talk about capital increasing in value, but data actually loses value over time. And it increases in risk and cost just from over retention or potential litigation and those mm-hmm. types of things, which is you know the business case for lifecycle management. Really, uh, I, I was I was in the Sedona Working Group Six back in the early 2010s when we came up with the change of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure for retaining information for evidence. Uh-huh. And we and in December 2015 they changed the rules so that as long as you have a good process for getting rid of old data. You could without any kind of legal legal issues. This is seven years ago, and I've yet to run into a CIO or a general counsel who's actually implemented getting rid of old data. They they still hang on to it, which to me is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's hard to. I mean, people are always afraid. Well, maybe my boss might need that in the future, or um, I'll, I'll have to get all this approved by general counsel, and it's just not worth the hassle. So they just leave it there and they just keep adding to it. I, I know some of the biggest banks in the country, they don't even they don't know what they have. They just keep moving it to new storage platforms. It's all dark data, a lot of dark data. 40% or more of it is dark data, and they're not sure what it is. And and if you have it and there's something legal that comes up, you're compelled to produce it. And if you right. don't, then you get into more trouble. So the the so long, counter- so long as you're following your retention schedule, you got a retention schedule that's published. And you say, this is our rule book and that we've kept it for the required of three years or five years. Boom, you can get rid of it. Uh, and, and that's that's what uh, records managers are really trying to enforce. Well, and, and, and I think there's going to be an ever increasing pressure to to have that level of oversight of what you're doing between GDPR, CCPA and the other privacy acts that are, are sprouting up all over the world, which basically means you need to know what you have, you need to know where it is. And you need to be able to get rid of it on demand and certify you did so. 
there are very few companies that are that on top of what they have going on that they can meet that standard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the whole push for privacy has actually um, been a, a big push for information governance overall, because the first step in many privacy programs is inventorying, find out what you have, inventorying your, your information assets. And that's often the first step, one of the first steps in an IG program. So really that uh, legislation like GDPR and California CCPA and CPR, that's that's actually fueled this this move. And information governance is getting more mature. It, uh, they, in May, they announced a new ISO standard for information governance, and it's only been around 20 years or so. So that's that's pretty pretty good progress. I, I, I uh, often joke in the information governance space, information governance is sort of like toilet paper in a public toilet. Nobody wants to pay for it, but it better be there when you need it. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I, I think... Uh, if you look at the multiple trillions of dollars of market capitalization of companies like Amazon, Google, Twitter, all of all of the information companies, you quickly recognize that, um, like Doug Laney with Infonomics, and he talks about data is the new money. I, I think of it data is, or the new oil. Um, I think of it as the new sugar because of diabetes. But it is fundamental that if you are not properly um, managing your information and, and thereby monetizing it, then you're hopelessly behind the curve and and I'll be shorting your stock uh, forthwith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Actually, D- Doug Laney hates the idea of uh, saying uh, data is the new oil because he doesn't think that's a, an apt analogy because oil, uh, you know, it, it can't be reused. Information can be reused. Um and 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 all of the things that the reasons why you know uh, he 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 doesn't like that analogy, but um, but but I get what you're saying. Basically, now data has value. Data is is a, a currency almost. He and I have had similar discussion. And um, the other big difference between capital and information, capital um, is fungible, right? I can trade a dollar for a pound for a ruble or whatever. Whereas information, its value is highly contextual. A piece of information that might be very valuable in one context is completely useless or a liability in another. And Uh so context is really important. And that's where a lot of information governance uh, comes in. It's not just capturing the information, but capturing the the context with which it has value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, we're getting to more and more of this data, metadata, really on unstructured information, out of unstructured information, which. I, th- I think they could be setting up there's now there's data brokers out there internationally that are selling data sets. Um, and there's a lot of free <clears throat> data sets as well from government. And uh, I think that maybe uh, we'll see that kind of a data brokerage sort of a setup internally within organizations so they could better reuse or fully exploit the, the data that they have across uh, the silos of the organization. In, in, again, a quarter century of doing data and analytics, the, two of the things that always stuck out in my mind is that metadata is almost always more valuable than data. Mm-hmm. And the absence of signal is more important than signal, mm-hmm. um, which is why I, I hate ETL. ETL, you, you know, str- you're, you're cleansing data. No, you're not. You're just, you're eliminating the answers to a different question. What's ETL again? Uh, that that uh, extract, transform, load. So when, when I do t- data cleanup, when I'm going to do mm-hmm. some analysis. Mm-hmm. I strip away all kinds of information that I think is dirty or incorrect or whatever. Those are just answers to a different question. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you strip all that away, you're taking away your ability to actually ask different questions. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, w- when can we expect uh, this this book to come out? And, and what I'm really excited about is you're going to speak in September on this topic at uh, InfoGov World conference um, on September 29th and 30th. So 
we're yeah. gonna, we're going to get to hear your full uh, your, your full thoughts on on the topic, and uh, we look forward to the book. Now it might be early next year before you get it out, huh? Uh, it's really going to depend upon a publisher and how quickly they can move it. But yeah. um, I'm I'm probably uh, a month or so away from finishing the manuscript, and then again, it's just how quickly can you get it out of Word and onto uh, the paper. Yeah, uh-huh. And you've written several books. I, I know I have uh, Data Crush and uh, what the other one was Jerk. Uh, what's the yeah, second my, one? My, yeah, my second one was Jerk, which is not an autobiography, but it's close. Um, <laughs> jerk is actually from physics. It's the third derivative of the equation of motion. And then my third book, uh, The Care and Feeding of Bots, is all about best practices with RPA and artificial intelligence. So data, data diabetes really builds upon the other three. RPA is uh, uh, robotic process automation? Yes. Yeah. And that's basically bots automating bots. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, what's your, what's your, your short definition of it? Robotic process automation is, um, it, it's, it's the attempt to automate business processes without actually automating it. Uh, it's a shortcut to uh, good software development. <laughs> and it's really, it's trying to use a, a user interface to do business process automation, which um, is part of the problem that many organizations have with only about 5% of companies succeed with the technology. And it's largely because of um, inappropriate expectations of what it's capable of. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's business process automation, right? On steroids. I mean, it's yeah. basically what it is. Uh, I mean, uh, with less human intervention and more AI intervention, I think, huh? Which then leads to higher probability of something going wrong, which is the part that a lot of people miss. <laughs> yeah. The more the more we automate stuff, the more the, the worse the consequences when we inevitably have something go wrong. You know, very Three Mile Island or Chernobylish. So uh, I'm 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 wondering with RPA, when did that really start? Uh, it's only been around for about five or six years, huh? It it really started taking off around 2015 to 2017, and that's when you know there were you know, predictions that the entire you know human population would be unemployed by these things and so forth. And uh, you could you could create a bot in five minutes, and it would automate everything that you have to do. And, and it wildly oversold. Now mm -hmm. many of them do work, and they do work quite well. But um, you have you, you can't get around the fact that it's a business process that has to follow rules, and and there's not a shortcut to getting that done. And a lot of RPA was sold as as a variety of shortcuts for saving money. And frequently, um, uh, most companies didn't see a lot of money uh, cost savings. Mm -hmm. um, and there's yeah, I get into all of that in, in the care and feeding of bots. Why that's so? Uh huh. Yeah, I think you're onto something here with the data diabetes. This uh, this concept that you know that getting it out there that you know letting C-level executives know that uh, information loses value and it add, adds it accumulates risk and cost over time. Maybe make them uh, rethink some of their retention policies and uh, and and be a little more uh, vigilant, I guess, about uh, managing that life cycle. Getting to the point of generating business outcomes. The, the more we automate, the more we're going to be out of control and the more we're not going to be in the processes, we're going to be on the processes monitoring. Mm -hmm. And the sooner organizations come to be, become comfortable with that, um, the more likely it is that they're going to succeed past 2030. Because you know, over the course of about the next eight years, you're either going to make this automation stuff work correctly or you're going to be blockbustered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, there's a... a, a Large companies, I think, uh, that I've noticed, uh, they're, they're really 
terrible at managing information. Just, just terrible. I mean, just in, in your everyday customer service experience with your bank or your phone provider, you can see this, you know, they don't have all the information they need. I, I was trying to get a, just a phone and a hot a hotspot yesterday, uh, you know, lined up at, and, um, you know, they go, well, when did you buy that? And, and can we buy it? I go, isn't it in my account? I mean, can't you see that? If they did, she said, did you buy it in the morning or the afternoon? I'm like, you can't find that. It's not just in my account. So uh, I, I thought it was crazy, but they, a lot of these shortcuts uh, end up, you know, costing money over the long term, really, because you've got a lot of inefficiency there. And uh, a lot of, even just with the airlines, same kinds of problems, you know. Um, so a lot of that's going to have to be re-architected, re-architected or re-engineered, um, you know, for them to survive. I think you're right in the long term. Uh, so, Chris, we'll uh, we'll see you at uh, InfoGov World in t- September 29th and 30th. And uh, we look forward to your new book coming out, Data Diabetes. And thanks so much for coming on the program. Yeah, thank you. Great to catch up. Thank you for listening to another episode of IG Talk, the leading voice in the industry, which features IG leaders, news, events and best practices. Tune in next time to stay up to date on the changing world of information governance.